Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we delve into the preparations for the coming of the Savior. Every year at Christmas time, we take this time to prepare our hearts. While all the glitz and the, the celebrations begin in our society outside of the church, the season of preparation that we, we spend ahead of Christmas is intended to help us to focus not on how we get everything done or how we make sure we get the right gifts or if we can make it every place we need to be or if all the lights work and we've checked every bulb, not that kind of preparation, but the preparation to reflect on the miracle of the incarnation because that's really where the heart of everything that we do as a church is at. If Jesus hadn't come into the world, if he hadn't lived in this world, if he hadn't suffered and died for us in this world, we'd have no reason to gather. And there'd be no reason to celebrate Christmas. And yet in the hubbub, so much of that gets lost. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through a journey, a journey that's going to go through that beautiful old hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And we're going to use that as a guide to point out different parts of scripture that it refers to, to think about the journey of what Jesus accomplishes for us, what this season is truly about. The starting point is that all flesh is mortal, that we as human beings, we as those who have flesh, are mortal. Everything's passing. Some of what we do at Christmas time feels so timeless. We, we do it every single year. We, we see the same celebrations, put the same decorations, we go and visit the same family and friends and sing the same songs, and it feels very timeless. And yet there are those things that remind us that even what we would call timeless really isn't. Last night in the chat for our live stream, Bill Cluxton was mentioning the different toy catalogs that he liked to look at as a kid. The, the big retailers have put out the Christmas catalogs, and several of you chimed in on that. I remember going through those catalogs, too, and it was exciting, wasn't it? You'd, you'd open up the Wish Book catalog, and it had, it was bigger than this Bible here, that, the study Bible, and it had all kinds of wonderful things, and everything looked exciting. Everything had that little number you could write down the that referred to the item, and of course it was described in the most brilliant of terms. It was going to be so great to to have this or that toy, this or that gadget, this or that thing that was part of a wish book. And how many years did did people do that? Young and old go through that and page through that and, and look for gifts or look for gifts they wanted to be given. And it seemed like it was just a fixture. It seemed like a timeless Christmas activity, something, especially when you think about big retailers like Sears or Montgomery Ward that would be around forever. And yet one at least in its original form, is entirely gone. Someone bought it and restarted Montgomery Ward, but the original company's gone. And the other is barely there, struggling to hang on. Neither of them have catalogs anymore. Of course, catalogs in general have been replaced by the internet. And it's sort of a silly example in the sense that it's not life or death. And yet you think about that thing that, that in that moment, if you're a kid opening that catalog and looking through, it felt so crucial to to preparations, right? We have to get that list for Santa or, or, or what have you. And it felt like something that would be there. Yeah, it's gone. And it's maybe just a little example, but that little example speaks to the bigger examples. We're reminded of that if we have a family gathering and there's family members who are no longer there. We're reminded even 
when we gather with friends and maybe maybe they're still alive but they moved out of town or those people that we always used to talk to and share festivities with that we've lost touch with all those sorts of things remind us of how what feels firm and secure in the moment is passing and everything is passing and in this season where we talk about the timeless in this season where we try to recapture exactly what was it might feel a little odd to talk about that but that's exactly where we start when we think about the point of Christmas, when we think about the people of the moment that the Christmas miracle took place, they, they weren't people who were fully aware that, ah, there's a giant coming soon sign and God is building this manger. Yes, it's weird. Why is he going, into, going to have his son born in a manger? But he's building this manger. Jesus is going to be there soon. That wasn't what they were thinking. They were oppressed by the Romans. It had been hundreds of years since a, a legitimate prophet had spoken. What was going on? Everything that should have been had passed long before them, and they had the question, is what God has promised really going to be there? And they could see generation after generation, their lives would, they would grow up, they'd go through life, they'd try to be faithful, and then they'd pass. And they would just go and come and go and come. And yet the promise hadn't come. Today we have the promise. Jesus has come, and that's why we're going to celebrate this season. But even then, we still find those things that are passing. Sometimes it's the little things, that just the fond memories, like that Christmas catalog. Sometimes it's the bigger things. Sometimes it's our lives, our very lives. And we look at our own mortality and how we know that someday we too will pass. And the question is, is there anything we can truly hold on to? The good news at Christmas is all those things that we try to hold on to may pass, but God doesn't. And that's the journey we're going to go on over the next few weeks. So let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer and ask that he would remind us that he is the one that never passes and is always there for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing, amazing truth that we come to. As we seek to keep silence and hear your word. As we seek to, to turn to you and to your truth, we know that you are there, and that you have been there from the beginning of all the ages until the very end. And so as we do our Christmas traditions and we have those things that we hold on to every year, would you help us to remember what truly will never pass? Lord, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. To get us started, we're going to turn to one of the prophets, one of those prophets crying out that, that God was going to make things right, even when it didn't seem right, even when things were going to be profoundly broken as judgment came. And that's the prophet Isaiah. We looked at part of this chapter 40 of Isaiah last night during service, and we're going to pick up there in verse 6. Listen to what Isaiah says. A, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Isaiah is speaking to people that think they have something secure. They have the kingdom that God established. They have the temple that God established. It's not going to pass, right? But what we know will come, the judgment that's going to come upon them means that even those things that seem most secure 
Even the things, well, a lot of times they were too busy to pay attention to God. They could turn back in a moment and see that temple there. That was going to pass. And that's the truth for them, but it's also the truth for us. We pin our hopes to things that that we think look lasting. Sometimes it's our own hopes and dreams. We think that they're so vivid in our own minds that they're going to happen and we can count on them. Sometimes it's just the institutions around us. It's that Sears and Roebuck catalog that you can pick up and it looks so secure, but it isn't. Sometimes we think, well, I'll, I'll, if I have a big enough house for myself and my family, that will be security or safe enough car or safe enough job or whatever it might be. But in all those things, they disappoint. And, and that's what the people are going to run into too. They, they are going to be confronted with the fact that God is going to allow the enemies of of the people of God to come and invade them and take them away. They turned away from the Lord. They weren't following him. They weren't following his law. Judgment was going to come. And the things that they were trusting in, the institutions of the Lord, were going to pass. He wasn't. His promises weren't. But that wasn't really where they were often trusting. To the extent that we trust in our own lives and in the lives of those around us and in those institutions, what do we find? Everything passes. It passes like the grass out in your lawn passes. If you look out there and all the grass has turned brown. A few months ago, it looked nice and secure and green, perhaps, assuming you were watering it, but now it's brown. It passes. Everything that we hold on to that looks green, that we can say, this is growing so great, what does it do? It passes. And in that exile moment, in those moments where we, like the people of Israel, find ourselves outside of where we thought we were supposed to be, in those places where all of us aren't where we hope to be, in those places where the promised land seems distant, and even in those places where it seems present in the moment, we're reminded that it will pass. So what are we going to hold on to? Sometimes I I can really see this. Sometimes it's really in my mind, and... Sometimes it isn't. I think that's probably true for all of us. I remember going on a tour of different colleges, and the one I went to offered me a scholarship that included a meal plan. And they just built this beautiful new cafeteria. It was really exciting for the time. Nowadays, it would look really antiquated, but it was really exciting for the time. It had all these different stations with different themed foods, and and I could go there three times a day for no additional charge. Go And I could go any day of the week and enjoy all these different things that they were making. I remember looking at that and thinking, this is really neat, but it has an expiration date on it. Because if I come here and I and I go there however much I want to, no matter how much I want to, it's going to end. There will be a time when I finish, hopefully. And if not, then that wouldn't work out so well either. But I did indeed finish. There was an expiration on that. That time where there was all this bountiful selection of food in this cafeteria, the doors closed. I was no longer entitled to it. And sometimes, on the other hand, I'd walk in and I'd just completely take for granted that I could come in there. And I'd even choose not to go there because, well, I don't want to go there again. I've been there several times this week. I'm tired of the food. Later on, I went back to teach there. And I remember the faculty who were also receiving this promised land of free cafeteria food, not a given amongst college faculty, but they gave it to us. They would complain about it. I'm so tired of this. And yet then that benefit was removed. And then the complaint was, how could they take this away from us? 
sometimes we just kind of take advantage of the things in our lives. We assume they're going to be there. We assume they're secure. And that's a mistake. Sometimes we actually see it very clearly. There is this expiration date. This is going to pass away. That's good to hold in mind. It doesn't mean that we should be dour about it. If I'd gone in every day and thought, well, let me count how many more times I could come in here, that would have been a really unfortunate thing. I would have appreciated the blessing of it. On the other hand, if you just assume every day you're going to do the same thing and it will always be there, Scripture reminds us it won't. You have to keep a balance there. God calls us to enjoy the momentary blessings that he gives us. If he gives us a lawn full of beautiful green grass, we should enjoy it, even though we know winter will come and it will turn brown. God gives us a meal plan. We should enjoy it, even though we know that someday we'll graduate and we won't receive it any longer. If God blesses us with a wonderful job and a wonderful circle of friends and family that should be deeply enjoyed. And yet, if our hope for all eternity is that everything will stay the same, the one thing we know is that it won't. So we embrace that. We certainly should embrace that this Christmas season as we enjoy the blessing of, uh, of warm fellowship with those whom we love. But we need to know where our true hope at Christmas is situated. We need to get in the habit of focusing on what really is stable. We, we get into that daily routine and forget, at least when things are going pretty smoothly, that things can keep going this way for a while and then change. Sometimes when it's really bad, we just assume, well, it's always going to go wrongly as well. And we start, in either case, to put so much stock in the world and how it is that we forget that God has a plan that's eternal and unchanging, and that is where our focus should be. But what do we see as we move on in verses 8 to 11? We read these words. Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom he, and gently lead those that are with the young. God has not forgotten his promise. And even when judgment comes, and it was coming roaring at the people of Judah at the time that this is written, even when judgment comes, even when judgment comes for you or for me, that, that we have wandered away from God's promises and we experience some of God's judgment, we are reminded in that not that God is unfaithful. He said he will bring judgment. He will discipline us. But even in that, we're reminded that he is faithful. And so it is as he's going to bring judgment to the people of God in this moment, what does he do? He comforts them. He's going to correct them the institutions they've wrongly trusted in, the, the livelihoods they've wrongly trusted in, their own wit and wisdom that they've wrongly trusted in will be taken away from them, but their God won't be taken away from them. He won't be taken away from you or from me either. God leads his people home. He leads you and me home to his presence. And so wherever we might be, whatever bit of exile we experience in a moment, even when we're the cause of it, and, and very much so here when we're reading Isaiah, we're finding a story of people who are a cause of their own 
their own problems, their own discord, their own literal exile. God is offering a promise of comfort and a promise of renewal of every blessing that he provides because God continues to be faithful. We see that from cover to cover of the scriptures. If we turn back to Genesis 3.15, we looked at that also last night. What does God say? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This promise that Jesus, the offspring ultimately of Eve, would come and he would bruise Satan's head. Satan would not stand in victory. And we see that in, in the promise to come in Revelation 22, 6 to 7. Listen to what John writes. It says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We think about the promises that we could read about in those closing chapters of Revelation, of, of how God will remake the earth and the heavens and take away everything that's broken about it, that we will dwell in his presence. And what are we, what are we being reminded of? That that promise from the very beginning hasn't been forgotten. That everything that was broken between the beginning when humans first sinned and that last bit of revelation that hasn't yet been fulfilled, Everything in between there has been painful, yes, for us as we go through it, has been disturbing at times, many, many times, but none of it's disrupted God's promise. God's promise holds. The key thing that we see over and over again is that we need to actually turn to the Lord and know him. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? What's Paul referring to there? Paul's referring to the practice of offering an incense to a deity, and he may have in mind his own experience in the temple in Jerusalem worshiping the true God, because God had given instruction to offer incense. But he could also be referring to what everyone with a pagan background, everyone who had worshipped, say, one of the Greek gods, would understand as well. Because throughout the ancient world, the customs as you went before a deity often included offering some sort of incense blend. You'd blend something that was specially formulated for that deity, and, and you'd offer that up as part of your sacrifices. And Paul has in mind our lives are so much like that, that there's going to be a fragrance. And the question is, does that fragrance smell beautiful and wonderful and aromatic or not? It reminds me of cilantro. I love cilantro. I'd be curious. Maybe you could say in the chat, do you enjoy eating cilantro or having it on foods? Most of us don't just munch on it by itself. But do you enjoy cilantro? Here's something interesting. About 25% of human beings have a gene that causes them to taste cilantro, and they don't taste that wonderful, fragrant, robust herb that adds so much zest to whatever it happens to be added to. They taste soap. And so naturally they respond with disgust to it. It tastes horrible. And so it is that you can have this thing that some of us think, boy, this is just like the, the, the manifestation of freshness on, on a food. And other people approach it and think, how could you even think about eating this? It's horrible. 
we have lots of disagreement on foods a little bit here or there that we we may prefer something or not like something but cilantro brings out that that polarizing difference because of how genetically we react differently to it when we think about the fragrance of our lives it's like that i imagine paul he he spent time in jerusalem he smelled the particular formulation of fragrance that the lord had instructed and it smelled beautiful and wonderful to him and as he walked into other ancient cities and he smelled those formulations of fragrance that were supposed to be wonderful but were for false gods he he smelled that and he he smelled the false worship and and, and it was not a comfort like it would be in Jerusalem, it was something that was deeply troubling. What are our lives going to smell like? And we need to ask, what are our lives going to smell like to God? And what are they going to smell like to other people? The most important thing is, what does it smell like to God? And maybe you think this Christmas season, I'm going to institute in my life being an exemplar of peace and goodwill to mankind. I'm going to live out those Christmas carols, and I'm going to do that. If you don't start with the key ingredient, and that key ingredient is Jesus. That best attempt that you do, the best attempt that I do, is going to smell abhorrent to God. Because without Jesus in our lives, without Jesus' righteousness replacing our attempts at righteousness that always fall short, we're not going to please God. So if you're thinking tonight, what am I going to do this Christmas season? What am I going to do with Jesus this Christmas season? Start there. Make your life a fragrant offering to God by choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to follow the one who is incarnate in the flesh at Christmas. Because then we go from that mortal flesh that we all are to that immortal flesh. But then there's a second point. What does What is the fragrance of our lives communicating to other people? And even when we're seeking to follow Jesus faithfully, even when we're seeking to love people around us faithfully, a lot of times when we're following scripture, when we're standing by God's law, when we're going to church and we're not just going to all the secular stuff for Christmas, people find it not fragrant. They find it distasteful. You say, well, how can that be? If it's so good, if, if this is what God has said is good, how can it be so distasteful? Well, just as Jesus makes our lives fragrant to our God, so too, when other people have Jesus in their lives, that fragrance is pleasing to God becomes pleasing to them. But first, they need to know Jesus. And that reminds us of what's really important this Christmas season. It isn't making sure our gift list is perfect, that our parties are perfect, that everything goes smoothly for all the, the celebrations that we dream up or, or anything like that. What really matters? That we know Jesus and we help other people to know Jesus. Because everything else is going to pass. We, we've been thinking about that all evening tonight, thinking about the things that have passed. And maybe you'd like to share a favorite Christmas tradition that can't happen anymore for one reason or another. And we think about those things. They pass. And that reminds us of how our lives will pass. But let's not let another season pass without helping other people know what will not pass. We stay with the things that are passing. Even the most pleasing parts of Christmas will at last leave us in despair because they won't last forever. But as we turn to the God who doesn't pass, we instead turn to restoration. And we can be agents of restoration this Christmas season. So let's pray that we would be restored in him and that he would use us to restore others. Will you join me? Father, we come before you as those who, who know all too well that our lives are passing, that nothing that we hold on to in this life will last forever. But what we do know is that you and your love last forever, that 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are unchanging from time to time, from age to age. And Lord, would you help us that if we haven't yet trusted in you, that we would. If we have, but we wander off as the people of God inevitably do, that you would draw us back. That you would help us then to draw others to you. That our focus this Christmas would not be on all those things that we add to our Christmas list of activities and, and gifts and so on, but the one item that should be there, which that we would focus on you and we'd help others to focus on you. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. It's appropriate as we wrap up this first part of our series, as we think about the, the passing mortal flesh, that we're coming to a very special night this Friday night, Blue Christmas. And I encourage you to join us in person or online at 7 p.m. this Friday night at Little Hills. We're going to spend time coming before our God with those things that we are struggling with. Maybe you're grieving over a loss of a loved one or a job or just uncertainty in your life or with your health or, or just a general sense of malaise. It may be who knows what. We all have something. What we're going to do is we're going to bring those things to our God because we know that he's the one that doesn't pass. And we're going to use this service as a time to set those things before God so that then as we go into the rest of the Christmas season, we're prepared to not hold on to those things that keep leading us to despair, but rather to hold on to the one who's going to make things right, who's going to wipe away the tears, who's someday going to, to raise up the very dead and bring new life. And that's where we'll dwell and that's where we'll go with the rest of this Christmas season. In fact, that's where we're going to pick up next week in this series. We're going to be thinking about how we move from mortal flesh to the immortal that came into this world in the very Son of God, in, in, the, in the very form of Jesus. So please do join us next week. Please, please, please invite people to join us in this online series, to join us on Friday night. The following week, we have a Christmas faith tree. Invite people to join us for that as well. This is the season to invite. There's so much that's passing away. Everything, in fact, other than our God. So invite people to enjoy what will not pass, that will that will not fail them, the one who is there for them. If there's any prayer requests, any way I can help you this week, any questions you might have, feel free to shoot us a text at our texting line, 833-356-4032. That's 833-356-4032. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I cannot wait to see you once again next week. Thank you.